Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. You know, last year we said Happy New Year every week for a couple months, I feel like. Um, I feel like that was we two really years op- ago. Oh, maybe it was it two years ago because we were really optimistic. And then tw- and yeah. maybe last year. Oh yeah, maybe it was to wait. Where when are we? No, because I think, no. See, I don't know. This I is think what we happened. Were trying to be optimistic last year, twenty twenty one. See, this is what I'm saying. Twenty twenty two. Yeah, that's I do that every single time. I'm like, yeah, during the twenty nineteen twenty twenty school year last year, and people are like, yeah, no, it's twenty one yeah. twenty two school year, and I'm just like, I'm I'm still processing twenty twenty. So give me a break. Just give me a break. <laughs> It's crazy. And, you know, we're in this time where there's still so much unknown, you know, kids have been struggling for a while and yet we're still trying to get them back on track. But yet we're still seeing school closures like, you know, we're recording this at the beginning of January 2022. And we are, you know, again, seeing schools close and again, seeing kids being tested and still so much unknown and up in the air. And and we really thought this time last year, like by now we would be getting the hang of it. And I think, you know, one call to action that we've really been trying to put out to our community schools and parents is we need to be innovative and we need to be looking at how we can work together better because not only is this something that we need to be working through now, but I think those last two years have really shown us that this is, this isn't just a problem for now. We're realizing how many problems there are with the education system in general and how we need to be working better, collaboratively, innovative. And so with that in mind, like we're really excited to have our guests to, on this week. Yeah, Kurt and Suzanne are from True North Educational Cooperative 804. And I'm going to throw it to them. Kirk, do you want to go first and kind of give a little bit of background? And then Suzanne, I'll have you do that as well. Sure. Sounds good. Uh- Thank you for inviting us, and this is a great opportunity to have a conversation and largely be outside of maybe COVID, so (laughs) to talking about our work. So I am Kurt Schneider. I'm the superintendent of True North Educational Cooperative 804, and I am in my sixth year, going to be going on year seven, and we have been embarking on a transformational journey to really look at how to deliver services to all students in a new and different way based on, you know, what we know the research and the policy says, which is, you know, the more that kids are together, the better the outcomes. It's pretty simple. So we've been embarking on this work and, you know, I'm just pleased that people are interested in what we have to say. Oh, we are very interested, and I know our audience will be too, and we'll kind of dig into a little bit more of your background, Kirk, but Suzanne, I'll have you go next. Sure. I'm Suzanne Sands. I am the president of True North's Leadership Council, which is our school board, essentially, and have been in that role for six years now. I'm in my seventh year as a school board member in Lake Forest, Illinois, and serve as the vice president of that board as well. But the transformational work that we've been doing at True North has had an impact on our broader community because we are cooperative with 18 member districts. So I know we're going to get into True North a lot more, but because, so we're in California and we deal with 
school districts and SELPAs, which are special education local plan areas, and certain other states, they do it differently. So can you talk to our audience a little bit about what these cooperatives are and how they kind of look in states that have these types of programs that's different than maybe what we would have with our SELPAs in California? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to jump in on that. So I'm somewhat familiar with the SELPA the model. I would say states have variations of those kinds of resource organizations. So for simplicity's sake, you know, you can think of what we're trying to do in that kind of way. But what we're trying to do with our particular districts, you know, would say have a membership, but also we have many folks that aren't necessarily formally part of the organization that do use resources and supports is to be a leader, not only within the region, but also nationally trying to support districts and truly transforming the way they deliver services to kids from all different various student diverse backgrounds. And what guides that work essentially is an understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusive practices. And so what we do is, you know, the districts pool resources financially and you know, in terms of skill and ability and other things as well. And we partner with districts to be able to influence what happens in districts, but also at the same time, we're transforming our own organization as well. And so it's really twofold and um, really just trying to be a good thought partner and resource partner with districts to do good things for kids. So I think the word cooperative works so well there. And I think for our listeners, the biggest difference is it sounds like it's a choice for districts and it's more of we're working together versus like in California, we have our SELPAs that are generated by the state of California's Department of Ed. And it kind of is supposed to oversee. It's not really a cooperative. They're not together. It's like, hey, we're going to tell you what to do. We're just going to leave you alone. Yeah, I would say that there would probably be a similarity. I mean, there's a a formal structure here in Illinois, but that's part of what we're challenging. (laughs) And so, you know, by statute, we would probably be called the special education joint agreement. But in our work, what we know is that actually is the purpose of what we're trying to challenge, because what we know is that kind of identity creates a separate track system. Yeah. And that tracking at an organizational and school and classroom level then permeates, you know, for the student. And so part of what we're and have been challenging is that structure so that it's really a structure for all kids and not just a structure for a certain identified population. And so why don't we kind of dive into the big vision for True North, just so that, I mean, we've kind of tap danced around it, but if you guys want to just talk a little bit about what it is that you want for these students? So I would say I'm going to step back just to our mission first, because I think that that's more student-centered and more of what drives the work. And our mission is to be committed to the possibilities of every learner every day. And when we started on this journey of shifting our focus and making some real changes in how the cooperative serves member districts and the community at large, very little changed in the mission itself. However, we came to understand how critical that word every learner is to what we do. And since we serve students from kindergarten through 22, all of those learners are not kids. Yeah. (laughs) Some of them are adults. And we also have a wide cadre of teachers and staff and administrators who are also a part of that learning community. And we consider them as a part of the people who we are committed to the possibilities for. 
And with that uh, mission and vision, as I mentioned, there's some guiding values with that work. And that is what I was referring to in terms of, you know, really all student groups and really understanding the best practices and the evidence-based practices that are, you know, that go along with that. And so our name became really important in this discussion because previously we were known as the Northern Suburban Special Education District. Ah, okay. And so that became inherently flawed in the direction of what we were were trying to go. And so we and the board decided this past year to change the name to True North for a number of reasons, which is the fact that you know, geographically, we're in the sort of northern suburbs of Chicago. So that word north was something that people wanted to hang on to. Yeah. The trueness of the values and being committed to these values was important. And when you put the two together, true north is really about directionality and that everyone's direction is individual, Mm -hmm. but it needs to be guided by these values. And so that term was really, it resonated with us. And then we're not a typical school district. And so we're a cooperative of 18 communities trying to move this work. And so we wanted to shift the emphasis to be on partnership and cooperation with a common goal. And so, you know, that's the essence of why we are now True North educational cooperative and then in Illinois everybody gets a number so we just added that too. Yeah. Language well, is and so I important. think it's so important mm-hmm. to look at it as a whole. We talk a lot about how, you know, when we advocate for our students with special needs, there's always the question of, well, why should these students get more or extra stuff? And you know, besides the answer of, well, the law requires schools to do that, it's the idea that generally most of these supports and services, the trainings for teachers, that go to help these individual students typically helps the rest of the class if we're implementing it across the board. If we're putting things within the classroom, if we're implementing them from day one, from kindergarten to have mindfulness and mental health support and all of that, it's helping all students. And so I think it's easier for people also to grasp that, you know, this is something that's going to help all kids if we're not labeling it special education. Like, There's a time and a place for saying and using the term special education, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, but, you know, it really is about building a better education for all students, not just a select few. I mean, there are a select few that need individualized support, but almost all kids need individualized support. So if we can do more multisensory and be really having robust programs, we are individualizing it to a sense. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think our parent community in this process, so we engaged all of our stakeholders and that included administrators, teachers, staff, board members in all of the member districts, but also our parent community across our member districts. And what we heard loud and clear from our parents was everything that we're learning about best practice. And we did a lot of education with all of those stakeholder groups in preparation for and during the strategic planning process. They said, you know, the name no longer really aligns to what we're talking about as what is best for kids. Mm. And this idea that there's a special place or a special location or a special program, it wasn't resonating with our parents anymore. And they said, we understand the challenges that our kids are facing. We don't need to be reminded with the labels constantly Mm -hmm. about who they are and what they need. Yeah. And it also goes against promoting inclusive practices and inclusivity in schools when we're saying, 
well, here's general education and here's special education. Here's general education funds, special education funds. This is, you know, for this and that. And we forget to pull together and focus on how can we build an inclusive environment? Because then when we're so separate, it's very difficult to get the two sides to work together collaboratively. And we're having to fight for that to say, we want you to work together. Yeah, language is really important. So I think even just taking a step back and realizing that and hearing that feedback, you know, as humans, we love to just label things, label, 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 you know, but as Amanda had said, almost every kid needs to have some type of specialization. And, you know, when we're talking about accommodations and things like that in IEPs, I mean, if I didn't have my phone set with all the reminders for whatever, like I would not get anything done. Like we all have unique needs that we need to figure out how to cope with, right? So with that, I kind of wanted to dive into what have you felt has been successful? Like, what do you guys do differently in terms of kind of the hands-on approach with the students? We got your kind of bigger vision and how different and wonderful that is, but how has that helped kind of on the ground? One of the biggest outcomes that we're seeing, and we now have a six-year trend, is that students you know, with identifications in particular. And when I say that, including students with the most complex needs as well, Mm. what we're seeing is that we have a positive trend of students spending more than 80% of their school day alongside their non-disabled, their peers without disabilities in the general education environments with the supports that they need. And so that particular outcome and that uptick in that trend is extremely positive. And so, and what we're also then seeing is if you continue to extend that trend is that obviously if you have more of an inclusive educational experience, that should, and what we're seeing is that permeates then the transition period Mm -hmm. of time Mm -hmm. where kids and families are then more included in employment and in transportation and in their communities, which ultimately then creates more opportunity to be included for the rest of their lives. And so you can't prepare kids for an integrated life if they've had a a segregated educational experience. I mean, preaching to the choir. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and I would say feet on the ground, a most recent experience for my district in this context has been that we've been partnering for in our kindergartens with the occupational therapists from True North, and they are serving in our kindergarten classrooms completely pushed in and looking at all kids in addition to the kids on their caseloads. So they are able to collaborate with these teachers and work with them as partners and make suggestions about how the classroom runs in ways that are in fact beneficial to all kids and are likely staving off issues that may arise a year or two down the road with some of these kiddos. And so those issues hopefully will never arise because before there was the need for an identification and all the formalities, a problem was seen or a challenge was seen. Suggestions were made because they're looking at it through a different lens than Mm. the general educator. Mm -hmm. And the two educators together are problem solving and putting it into practice in a way that's benefiting the whole class. And so that, to me, is the magic of how this transforms and really has an impact on kids. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, we've talked to colleagues in the past about 
getting more kind of like screenings for kindergartners, you know, looking at dyslexia and looking at different things for, you know, really trying to gauge, you know, reading programs and whatnot. But I think it does play a role with all across the board. It's not just with reading. I think that's a great way to be collaborating. And as much as we can be preventing and having this early intervention, we're just, I mean, and I think that goes to the question of, you know, really wanting to get eventually to universal, you know, pre-K, universal preschool, being able to give more kids opportunities to have that early intervention. So if we were to embed stuff like that, collaboration like that with educational therapists across the board, I mean, yeah, how many IEPs would we eliminate? Possibly a lot, or at least a lot of, you know, service areas. Exactly. And it's, a lot of the work is shifting mindsets. You know, that was the other thing that I would add, what I'm seeing boots on the ground, is that really when you get out of the complexity of the vocabulary and the language and the regulations, all this work really is, is that every mom and dad and teacher wants to have the best for their kid. Everybody wants them to have be with kids in the day that so they're not isolated. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that you and I might need different levels of support throughout Absolutely. the day. Yep. So let's make sure that they have them and let's make sure that the service and the support can be where the child is versus where we might have artificially set up a location or a program for the student to travel to. Everybody wants to have someone to eat with and everybody wants to have somebody to do something with on Friday night. And so when you start to talk about this work from that perspective, there really isn't anyone that says, I disagree with that. Yeah. (laughs) So let's just figure out how to do that and simplify this versus, you know, making it so difficult to understand because it's really pretty simple that all kids are general ed kids. Absolutely. And, you know, the biggest hurdle that we have is, well, we've always done it this way. And it's like being in like, you know, just this automatic gear and it's just easier to do. And it's like, if you just change that mindset, just really very, just a little bit to the left, it's not difficult to do some of these things. Amanda was just telling me about one of her cases where she was like, yeah, can we have like the, you know, collaboration between the special ed teacher and the gen ed teacher? And they're like, what are you talking about? And it's like, this is like the basic kind. Yeah, they're like, oh, well, they kind of already do. And she's like, no, specific towards this child. Like, and, you know, I'm sitting here hearing her say this, and I'm like, this is like very basic. <laughs> Why is it so difficult? And I think it's just, well, we've always done it this way. Why we were hopeful about the pandemic and that shift was that you can't do it the old way, right? We were in a digital environment, virtual setting, and... Two years later, I mean, this school year, I think, has been more difficult in several ways than it was last school year for the population that we service. And it's really defeating. (laughs) It really, really is. So, you know, if you guys don't mind kind of talking about that shift that you had to make. Yeah, I think, Kirk, you were saying, you know, you have kind of the data for the last six years, but obviously the last two have been a little, you know, might have yeah. an asterisk, might be the new norm. I don't know. <laughs> but can you guys talk about how um, the pandemic has kind of shifted or just kind of affected what you've been doing? Or has it not at all? It's made it even better? Yeah, well, I can talk and then Suzanne will, you know, certainly can jump in too. And so what I would say is that students and families who were more connected mm-hmm. to their classrooms, to their teachers who had a wider social circle fared better because those supports became really important. The more segregated and isolated you were going into the pandemic, 
you know, the pandemic sort of highlighted the mm-hmm. fact that you not only academically were more isolated, but socially and in sort of school community wise, you know, that just became more exasperated if you were segregated. It was easier to manage if you were part of a classroom, you had friends that you were going to now see on Zoom, you had connections. And so, you know, so I wanted to make that point. And then I would also say, you know, hats off to all of the educators. I mean, I'm not just politically just saying that for the sake of, I mean, teachers went out on a Wednesday night and had about 36 hours, if that, to be able to rebuild an entire industry online. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And the complexity of all the different profiles of kids that they, they worked with. And so they continue to do it. My staff this morning, we were, we had to take a little bit of a breather because, you know, a significant number of folks, you know, literally became ill. Yeah, I saw the pop-up on your website yesterday and today, but just being really transparent about it, like, hey, we've had a lot of staff call in, like. Yeah, and there was, and central office has been subs and drivers have become, you know, it's just been a lot of work, but yeah. you know, we'll be able to reopen on Monday and everyone, you know, pulled together and yeah. is really positive. And you can't go through this without a half of a laugh because it's so outrageous, know. you know, yeah. I know. and, you know, and they're right back at it. But that's just like yeah. I was saying, you know, it's thankful to have that transparency because Amanda and I are dealing with just, well, you know, that it is what it is. And it's like. You don't have to give me an explanation, but it's nice to be human about it because I know we're in the pandemic. I know that there's staff shortages, but what are you doing differently to help kind of combat that? And you guys just being like, look, we're going to get back to business. We just need these two days. Like, I thought that that was really great. Yeah, I was just going to bring it back to, so, you know, you've talked about True North as, you know, wanting to be, you know, a leader nationwide, you know, and one thing that we always try to do on our podcast when we have people who have great models that, of course, across the country, things are not done the same way. And we would love for people to work together. So if people in other states or even in other parts of Illinois want to figure out a way to get where you guys are, what would be some suggestions or tips for them? Or even like, can you inspire people to go forward and try to move in this direction? So I think the most important thing that we've been doing throughout our work together, Kurt, is we've been working from the ground level of educating everyone that we're dealing with. Mm. So Kurt has done a tremendous job of educating our parent community on what best practices Mm -hmm. really are so that they don't come in asking to have their kids segregated further, so that they don't come in asking for things that will in the long run actually be counterproductive for their own children when they're doing it with the best of intentions. And so we've also had to do that same education with our educators, with our teachers, with our staff. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is well-versed in what really is best practices. So there's been a lot of that. And then we've had to do it with the leadership in our member districts, and we've had to do it with our school board. And I would say the school board and the board members are the most critical to this actually working in some ways, because Mm -hmm. as soon as naysayers come out and start saying to boards, no, no, you can't do that. That's a terrible idea. You're going to wreck education for all the other kids if you do that. Mm. You need to have your board members very well grounded in the fact that what you're doing 
is the right work and is yeah. going to have positive outcomes for kids. Because if they're not, it all falls apart pretty quickly. It's wild to me that how Kirk, you had said, just like trying to shift that perspective, you know, for so long, this kid's behavior. And it's like, behavior is a form of communication. What is a child trying to, you know, and it's like, just that having someone like a man or I at a meeting to say that it like, opens up some people's eyes. But then for others, like, like you had said, Suzanne, there's always these naysayers. And it's these people that are just like, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. And it's just like, we saw that push for the 2021, 2022 school year was that at least in California, you're going back in person. We're going back. It's great. And it's just like, okay, was, and you know, and then of course we had a new variant with Delta. And it was just like, it's been frustrating to say the least, but to be able to have that support, which I think a lot of our teachers continued to not have (laughs) is what is the most heartbreaking and challenging because a lot of times the teachers were aside from parents and us were the child's advocate they're with the child every day they know what's going to work but they weren't you know necessarily getting that and then you know obviously throwing a pandemic and all this other ridiculous stuff and you know the burnout is high we know that there's a staff shortage people don't want to go they don't want to do it anymore it's too much so I love that you know starting with the board and really as long as you have them behind they can provide the resources they can provide that support that your staffing um may need especially at a critical time like now (laughs) yeah I mean I think very often push back from classroom level staff it's I think more often I don't know how to do what you're asking me to do yeah or I don't think I can do what you're asking me to do or the world has told me forever that it's only the special ed teachers and only the speech there and only the experts who can do anything and I'm not qualified to Mm -hmm. do that and I think that if we can wrap around with supports and push in with supports and education and collaboration and show that, that that collaboration can actually make a huge switch on those feelings. It works. Yeah. I mean, you want to make sure that they know that we're asking you to do something that we know you're going to need support, but don't worry, we're going to give you that support. But I think that's what's lost a lot of times is that there's so many expectations placed on teachers. And we see a lot of times these teams will say, we'll give you a little bit of training on this. And then you're just, you know, on your way. But it's like, why aren't we working together more? Why aren't we embedding in more of that support constantly? Because even if a teacher does learn a new skill and is willing to learn a new skill, there might need triage, there might need, you know, some tweaks along the way. It's not going to be perfect forever. Kids are going to change, circumstances are going to change. So I think that, you know, giving them the tools, but not just the tools to do it themselves, but I think also the support to let them know you're not in this by yourself. Yeah. And the permission. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because I think that is, you know, nobody gets up and wants to do a bad job on behalf of students and families. Everybody has gone into this because this is what makes them tick, you know? And so, you know, if we can continue, which is the value of a cooperative, do things together, unify, have someone to call that I met at the, you know, professional learning topic or, you know, a superintendent calling someone else to say, hey, I haven't done this. How did you lead this? Mm-hmm. You know, the more that you can build a culture of value, of, of unity and participation and sharing, you know, no one person or one district can do everything by themselves. Right. 
Right. And especially not here. We have very tiny districts in Illinois. Like the school district that I'm from, we are one K-8 school district serving one town. We have three elementaries and one middle school. And then we have a different district that is our high school. Yeah. So mm-hmm. we certainly cannot do it all by ourselves. Yeah. And I love that it is something that is constantly changing because I think education, I've said this forever, is just it's stuck in the 50s and it's reading, writing and arithmetic. And it's just like, what? (laughs) We're so much more than that, especially with all the technology that is at our fingertips. So as we wrap up, I want if you guys I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but I just had this thought, we kind of talked about like the success overall. But is there one student that you have in mind over the past six years that you've kind of seen just open up or blossom in a certain way or a parent that may have come to you kind of broken and disheartened, but then you were able to turn it around? Any really just little good piece of information (laughs) just because we we all need that pick-me-up. So when I first came into the system, there was a parent who was very well known and did a lot of work with all of the parent community. And when I presented this information and sort of a different way of thinking on how to deliver services, it completely resonated with her. And she, to the point where she broke down emotionally because she recognized for a long time she was advocating for the opposite. Oh, and, interesting. And her gut was, this is what I should have been doing all along, but I sort of got cultured <laughs> to believe that sort of that instinct, you know, that the opposite was correct. And she's right. like, darn it, I knew this the whole time. Like, that was my mom instinct. And so there was a lot of guilt that came And a lot of emotion that you have to manage when you're talking about this kind of work, because we've raised generations of kids and families and communities to believe sometimes that separate is better. And when you realize that that's no longer the case, there's a sense of shame and just, I don't even know how to describe it. There's just a sense of guilt and shame that goes along with this, that as leaders, we have to manage that emotional energy of those people. So she got to that place where she and her daughter, you know, needed to, and this is of someone who had really significant disabilities, needed to be, you know, in the community, you know, graduating with her peers, you know, and then in the community as much as possible to maximize the amount of time that this particular, you know, that her daughter had left in in an entitled-based system, you know, and to not apologize because she's like, you know, I feel bad that for 18 years I was sort of almost advocating for the opposite. And I'm like, yeah, but you still have three years left. And actually the whole lifespan (laughs) is actually 80 more years. And so you're ahead of the game. Right. So better to know now than, you know, decades down the road. And so that reframing and that retweaking. And to this day, she now owns a vocational integrated agency. She's, you know, involved, you know, in a lot of, of parent work. And so, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in age. It doesn't matter where you are in sort of your understanding. It's always the right work, no matter where you are. And, you know, people do the best they can with what they know at the time. And so just keep going forward. Just go yes. forward. Yes. I love that. Because, you, you know, she only knew what she knew. Right. And for you to give her that gift of... Because a lot of times, yeah, parents will be like, well, you know, they're going to graduate this and they feel like it's the end, right? Or yeah, we get yeah. them in high school and they're like, I wish I had you guys in second grade. And it's like, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm going to steal that. I just be like, it's no, the rest of your his life or her life. Like you're yeah. ahead of yeah. the game. Yeah, I love yeah. that. 
I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Suzanne, did you have one as a mom? So I just all along, you know, I talk to people all the time. One of my closest friends here, when I started this journey of school boarding, I had been a teacher before and her child has a lot of complex needs and was coming into a system that was just starting to be really inclusive of that. And I was thrilled because I was like, great, you're going to push this system forward because she was not going to ever accept anything less than her child being included. And so I have just behind the scenes been a cheerleader for that and been a nudger and a pusher. And I've been doing it on the other end too, to say like, let's make sure that we're still doing this, that we're doing right by, you know, these, this family, but also all the families that get impacted when you start to push and do that. And I don't think that schools will move forward well, if they don't continuously have pushing from parents. And I don't think that parents of kids with disabilities can do it by themselves. And so if the parents of the kids without disabilities don't nudge and push and support this work, it's much harder to do. And so I think we need everyone in our community to understand that everybody deserves to have an enviable life and everybody deserves to have a life where they get to make choices about who they want to be with, what they want to study, what they want to do. And I think that this work guides us towards that outcome for more kids. Amen. It's your, you're our kind of people. And that's why we're really ecstatic to have you on because you should not be the exception, right? Of, hey, it's working, you know, and it just, it seems that way. And we have all the research, you know, 20, 30 years of research yeah. about inclusion. And it's just, oh, it's frustrating to say the least, but <laughs> you warm our hearts with the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with Amanda and I about your journey and if people would like to reach out to you guys, if they had any questions, how could they reach you? Yeah, so we, with our new name and our branding, we have a whole social media uh, presence now that we didn't have a year ago. So nice. you can certainly follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things, Instagram, as well as our website. It's still all sort of new and we're working our way through it, but that's certainly a way. And obviously you can, you know, email and contact anyone, Suzanne or myself as well. And there's really good examples in every district, you know, that we're working with and, you know, focus on the positives. That's would be my last little piece is that, you know, is, you know, contact us and see examples and, you know, know that in every school district, there is something amazing that's going on. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kirk. Thank you so much, Suzanne. And listeners, we will talk to you next week. Next week. Yeah, we're going to continue on with, you know, moving forward. How do we move forward in this time, but also just in general, how can we better service students and our community? So we hope you keep listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.